Welcome to the Facts Versus Feelings podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sonu Varghese. Each week, we dive into the important market-moving events and cut through the noise to help you, as an investor, identify what really matters. Let's get this show started. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the seventh edition of the Facts versus Feelings podcast with Ryan and Sonu. Sonu, I'm coming to you live from my hotel room in Salem, Oregon. So I hope the internet works well. It is nice and green. It smells good out here. I'm enjoying it out here with an event. Uh, Ron Carson, um, some other members of the team, Aaron Shaben, our president, we're going to be out here doing something in a little bit. So I'm looking forward to that. You ever been out this part of the world? I've been to Portland and I've had a really nice drive out from Portland to there's a set of falls that starts with M. I'm blanking out now. But uh yeah, oh it, it I'm I've completely blanked out on that one. But, yeah, well, you know, but well, it's well, a gorgeous drive along the Columbia River Gorge. It's just, you know, fantastic. So I don't know where Salem is with rest, the geography there. But yeah, well, you had some it, driving to do, right? It's an hour south of the airport in Portland is where it was. But you know, so so we're going to dive in. There's a ton of stuff to talk about as always. Um, it feels like things change, and sometimes they don't change. But you know, one good piece of news, guys. This this podcast has been really popular. We are officially on iTunes. It took uh, what four or five weeks, I guess. I guess so. Anyway, they checked us. We gave blood. They checked our backgrounds, and we made it to iTunes. That's that. That's huge, right? Because uh, I, I guess we've got Apple's seal of approval. <laughs> yeah, Steve Jobs, whoever he is, <laughs> or the, the spirit of Steve Jobs. Thank you for putting us on iTunes. But guys, let's just dive right in here um, with the seventh edition of the Facts versus Feelings podcast. We're calling this one. Did the Fed blink? There are some clues that maybe, just maybe, the Fed will not be quite as hawkish as has been thought. We're going to talk a lot about October lows, the strength in the market that we've been seeing. Uh, stocks look like they're trying to make that major low we've been talking about. Also going to take a little look at housing. Sonu's done a lot of good work there, and I just sold a house and bought a house, so I'm a I'm the perfect guinea pig to talk about what's going on in real world there. And then uh, some earnings economic update, taking a look at hard and soft data. So, Sonu, let's just start again with did the Fed blink? I'll admit, Friday was my son's birthday, Sebastian. He's 12 years old. I didn't really do much. We went up to Circleville. Happy birthday to him. Yeah, he made it to 12. And we went to Circleville, which is just south of Columbus, Ohio. They've got something called the Pumpkin Show. It's amazing. There's more food and carny games and just stuff, fried everything, pumpkin pie all over the place, thousands, tens of thousands of people. It's a really cool thing. So I didn't even pay attention on Friday. I'll be very honest. I did, but I didn't. Then I look, and we had this big rally, but it looks like because there was a Fed, um, some clues from the Fed, a Wall Street Journal article by the Fed Whisper. Now, what, what's, how do you pronounce his name? The Fed, the new Fed Whisper. What's his name, the guy at the Wall Street Journal? I believe it's Nick Timoros. Timoros. Yeah, I don't know how he does it, but t- talk to me about what he said on Friday, because that was part of the rally, big rally we saw on Friday. What did he say? It feels like deja vu, right, with uh, Nick Timoros putting out an article. and then What did, what did Yogi, Yogi Berra said? It feels like it's deja vu all over again, right? Didn't Yogi Berra say that? <laughs> I think that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, Ryan, maybe you should take more days off. I mean, you know, like, Tell if me the about market it. keeps going up and, you yeah. know, I, I you know, do what I can. more birthdays. Yeah. I know your birthday is coming up and 
On the twenty eighth, right? Yeah, this Friday. Is that a Friday? My, this Friday, Friday the twenty eighth is my birthday. So. I'll be I'll be uh, twenty six years old. So yeah. <laughs> Uh, hopefully that we're, we're going to get another update on you know uh, a second Dietrich birthday. We're going to try it. Um, so so what, 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 the article came out the middle of the day and then everything went nuts. What what, what did he say exactly? So yeah, it's it's interesting. We've uh, labeled this episode is the Fed has the Fed blinked right? Yep. I mean, mm-hmm. Maybe it should be is the Fed blinking. Right. I mean, I, hey, so you know what? We can change this real time. That, that, that's not set in stone. We can change the title. <laughs> yeah. You're all good. But look, we know they have a there's a FOMC, you know, Federal Open Market Committee meeting next week or so that we're going to find out. I think everyone's certain. Uh, we talked about this after the inflation report came out. It cemented uh, the fact that they're probably going to raise interest rates by another uh, 0.75%. So, but now, you know, everybody's put that, you know, uh, into their models, all of that. They know that's going to happen, right? Everyone's expecting that. No surprise. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. The surprise will be if they don't do it. Right. But the question is what happens, you know, in December, right? We have several, a couple of more inflation reports to come before the December meeting, a couple of employment reports. So there's a lot of data coming out, all that to say. And, what the article said is the Fed's starting to think about, look, we've raised rates a lot, right? We've raised it from yeah. zero all the way to almost 4%, especially after, you know, next week's meeting. Right. And they're starting to think about how to decelerate, right? From And, and they're not talking about how to cut rates or anything like that. Let's make it, you know, clear, right? They're talking about how to decelerate from, you know, going from 075 Interest rate increases. What that will be, next week will be the fifth one, Ryan. I think. I think. I maybe think so. You've yes. got June, July, or maybe the fourth one. Well, right? started in March. The June, yeah. July, September. Yeah. yeah. So they're trying to think about okay, how do we go down from 0.75 to 0.5? Mm-hmm. Right. This is what the market's excited about. Uh, just a 0.5 percent interest rate hike. Which, by the way, folks, that's huge. Right. That's big. So after the inflation report came out, markets are pricing in. You know, 0.75% in November, 0.75% in December. Uh, but now the odds for 0.5% versus 0.75% interest rate increase in December, it's a coin flip. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, we we talked about this the last couple of weeks. I mean, the Fed is such an important driver to what's happening. We'll talk about the economy here near the end. The economy is still looking all, all right to us. There are some signs of a slowdown, yes, but not a recession. But, you know, the truth, again, the Fed 15, 16 months ago, was looking for like half a hike this year. And like we just talked about, they've been hiking rates aggressively all year, 75 basis points every time we turn around. The Fed's not infallible. The Fed's not perfect. Maybe this is the first clue. And they're realizing they've given a lot of medicine to the patient. Right now they're going to let mm-hmm. the patient kind of see what happens. We do need to see some better better inflation data. Um, but again, I think that's the key concept. And again, let, let's kind of move forward then. So that's the first sign. We talk about the Fed a lot, but maybe the Fed won't be doing 75 this December. And market took that positively. We had a 2.4% bounce on Friday while I was walking around Circleville, Ohio, eating nothing but fried foods and playing games with my kids. Um, big bounce. But that was the first Friday soto in five weeks that we finally had an up day on a Friday. I mean, I've said it before. There's lots of ways to look at market sentiment. One of them is maybe as simple as if you don't want to hold over the weekend, you being investors in general, which they haven't. We've had some massive drops on Friday the last couple of weeks outside of this recent one. That's the first side of more strength, more confidence coming in. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm totally sold on it, but it makes sense to me. What do you think? Is, is holding on Friday an important concept, you think? 
It's interesting because so many of us, we manage models too. Yep. And, you know, we are always holding, right? So, but prices are set at the margin, as they say, right? Yeah. And it's those extra buyers and sellers that come in that decide, okay, you know, price is going to go up today or tomorrow, what's happening in markets, right? So, and that way I've always found the, uh, that whole, like, or do people want to hold over the new buyers coming in? Are there more buyers coming in on Friday? right? Mm -hmm. Versus more sellers. I I think that's the way I think about it. And if more buyers are coming in on Friday, I mean, you think that's a good sign. Mm -hmm. I I agree. I I think it is. And, you know, this year has been a rough year, no doubt about it. But we think there's some signs of a low. We'll talk about that next year. And we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, but some strength on a Friday is a good thing. So again, we had about a 25, 26% bear market. We've had a significant bounce off the mid-October lows. Just a couple of things caught my attention as it comes to markets, right? We can look at market technicals and fundamentals and sentiment, but sentiment's what I want to focus on. So a week ago, I think Thursday or Friday, uh, there was a cover of the New York Post. It was it said 401KO exclamation point, right? And it reminded me of in October 2009, Time Magazine had a cover that said, should we retire the 401K? At the time, the shop I was at, we said, wow, that could be one of the better contrarian signals we've ever seen. And sure enough, there's a massive, massive multi you know, over decade bull market after that. So that stood out to me. Also, that Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey, I think we might have talked about it last week, but I want to talk about it one more time. Three standard deviations to underweight equities. I don't even know how much three standard deviations is, but it doesn't happen very often, like less than 1% of the time. And cash is at a 21-year high, a three-year standard deviation to having cash. If all, And this is people with real money. This is what global fund managers are doing. You know, I just don't think it's that simple. If everyone thinks alike, somebody isn't thinking, said Journal Patton, use that a lot. Everyone's thinking bearishly. October, six of the last 17 bear markets ended in October. The worst two years other than this one, 2002, 1974, vicious bear market. Stocks cut in half. Both of those bottomed within the first two weeks of October. I think we are in the process of, again, doing that major October low once again, uh, following history. And when you see all these people betting, I wouldn't say betting against the market, but some are, but at least just losing faith. That's what it takes to form a low, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, I, that chart you shared, uh, the global fund manager survey, mm-hmm. I, that's just astonishing. Yeah. Uh, looking at the chart, I mean, it's on Ryan's Twitter feed, if anyone's uh, looking for it, at Ryan Dietrich, right? Yeah. And uh, so it showed that cash levels are at the highest since 2001. Right. 2001. We're not even talking. We've skipped that entire 2008, 2009 period. Right. Cash levels are at the highest level since 2001. That is amazing. Right. It just shows a level of pessimism and sentiment, negative sentiment out there. No, it is. The other one was net allocation to equities is actually lower now. Than it was in 2008. And I'll be honest, I mean, we talk about stocks a lot. I mean, they're, they're, we talk about bonds too, though, I should say. I think a lot of that is because bonds have done so poorly. Bonds historically are having their worst year they've ever seen. Some There's some data back to the Civil War. Apparently, there was a year that was worse. But trust me, if you have a well-diversified portfolio with stocks in a bear market and bonds down well over double digits, there's probably a reason people feel even worse now in some cases than they did in the financial crisis or even during the, um, the pandemic, which is um, interesting. Speaking of the pandemic, I just saw... Uh, October 24th, we're recording this actually on um, October 25th of today. What is today? Today's Tuesday? <laughs> I don't even know what today is. Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday yeah. morning. I don't know what state I'm in half the time, but Tuesday morning. And <laughs> we're in the, the depths of the 
flu outbreak, right? They called it the Spanish flu, but it started in Kansas. Um, you know, over 50 million people died, right? I mean, this is in 1918. Talk about it, just a terrible time. Uh, more soldiers died from the flu back then than they did in the battlefield in World War One. Think about that. And we got through it, right? Then the roaring 20s came. 1987, the crash of 87 happened a week ago. All right, that was a terrible time. The financial system almost fell apart. I mean, a couple different phones. They couldn't even find Alan Greenspan. He's on a plane. He was a new guy in charge. Couldn't even get a hold of him. <laughs> It's on a plane. That tells you how far technology's come, by the way. Um, but a couple phone calls did save the system back then. If you look back at history, we got through that. Right? We've gotten through some terrible times in history. We're optimistic we're going to get through this one. Uh, we will get through this one again. And can't make guarantees. I compliance might slap my wrist, but I'm pretty optimistic we're going to get through this one again, just like we've gotten through some other terrible times. So, no, we've got a lot more to talk about. Anything on the stock market you want to talk about before we dive more into the economy? I, and you know, speaking of. Terrible times to seg into that, right? Let's not get too negative here. Yeah, yeah. We've come out of the pandemic and, you know, really it's the stock market that's been negative, right? Everything Mm -hmm. else, you know, in the the economy, I know we're going to talk about housing. Set aside housing for a moment, right? Most of the thing, if you look at, and we're going to talk about hard data, right? You look at actual activity, what's happening. It's pretty positive, right? You were on a plane. I mean, are the airports full? You know what? Oh, the airports are packed. I mean, airports are packed. But I'll tell you, I hit the lotto on my plane. Sometimes I get bumped up to first class because I fly a lot. I did not get bumped up to first class. But the seat next to me on my flight yesterday from Ohio to Phoenix, which is like a four-hour flight, nobody was there. Talk about a uh, hitting the lotto, get to spread out a little bit more. But let, let's do, let's talk about that hard versus soft data. I mean, you know, I go to restaurants; they're all packed. I go to airports; they're all packed. You know, we've got earnings season coming up. We'll talk about it. But Soto, I mean, you said you wanted to dive in on this a little bit. Talk to me about hard. First off, what in the world hard versus soft data? What does that even mean to the average listener? But then tell me what you're seeing out there. So yeah, so hard data is data that is that you know, actual measured data, right? How much of factory production is happening? How much are people selling? I mean, we're talking about you had an empty seat on the plane. That's very rare because airlines, so last year, airlines reported a loss. These are all the big airlines. Think of a Delta, uh, American United, Southwest, all that. They lost $731 million in the third quarter of 2021. They are reporting a profit of $2.9 billion this quarter. Well, this, you know, in, in the third quarter of 2022, massive, right? I mean, like I said, that empty seat next to you is probably rare, right? So take it, hold on to it. But yeah, that's an example of hard data, right? Actual revenue, actual sales, actual income that's being generated in the economy, actual activity that's happening. And then you have surveys, right? You have multiple surveys. You have uh, the Federal Reserve does surveys of um, the businesses in their individual dis- districts. So there are 12 Federal Reserve banks, you know, you have Dallas, Philadelphia, Chicago, Kansas, Minneapolis, all of that. They go out and survey people and their business owners in the district to talk about, you know, okay, how are you, you know, how's production coming along? Are you employing more people? Things like that, right? And people respond to these surveys. Uh, and so those are examples of soft data, right? People's feelings, in a sense. And we get, uh, Consumer confidence surveys as well. The University of Michigan does a very good survey. The conference board does another very good survey of consumers. And, you know, what's interesting is consumer confidence tends to be very correlated with gas prices. But, you know, understandably so. Right. But, yeah, that's the difference between soft data, all the, the information that's coming out from the surveys versus hard data, which is actual activity that, you know, is being measured. 
And what's interesting is we're seeing a big dichotomy there. We're seeing those go in different directions. Yeah, I mean, so the soft data, like you said, consumer confidence. Just before we started recording, saw CNBC there. The monthly conference board's number came out a little bit weaker than expected. You mentioned airlines, though. It reminded me of the, the Warren Buffett quote. Um, how, how do you become a millionaire? Start as a billionaire and buy an airline. <laughs> I think that's the Warren Buffett one. I think I, think I, think I said that right. Um, anyway. Um, this so, is so, not so a recommendation to sell airlines in your portfolio or exactly. buy airlines, by the way. Just right. It's just quoting, just right. quoting the Oracle of Omaha there. Um, you know, but like yesterday, for instance, we saw some PMI data that came in. Um, let's see here. Uh, let me have it here. 49.9 versus 52. 1.2, that was a manufacturing services PMI, 46.6 versus 49.7. Um, you know, and then you have the market rallied. <laughs> Always like bad news is right. good news. But again, talk to me about some hard data. What is the well, industrial production? That, that's what I know we like to talk about. That's hard data that came in about a week ago or so that was strong. Talk to me about that one. Yeah, no, uh, especially so industrial production, the Fed's been measuring this you know, for about eight decades or something. So this is a very old indicator, very reliable one. And it's a measure of real activity, right? It's not measuring, you know, uh, uh, how much is sold because, you know, when you sell something, inflation's baked into that, right? Whereas when, as, when the Fed measures industrial production, it's a measure of real activity. So it's, think of it as adjusted for prices, right? And manufacturing output just continues to go up and up and up. Right. It just goes to show when prices are high, businesses want to produce more. And, you know, that means demand is high, too. I I mean, businesses are not going to produce more if they cannot sell it. Right. So manufacturing output is about two and a half percent. It's up about two and a half percent, you know, through the first nine months of the year. And that's really positive. And a lot of this is driven by, you know, auto production. And that's a good thing for prices. Right. Because we've seen that. You know, auto prices, especially for new vehicles, used car prices are coming down, but new vehicle prices haven't quite come down. And that's because we don't have much inventory. I don't know if you've bought a new car recently, but it's very hard to find one on a lot. Right. Mm -hmm. And so auto production coming back is good news for prices and especially new vehicle prices. Want to know more about the impact the 2024 election may have on the markets and the economy? We'll be covering everything advisors and their clients need to know in the lead up to Election Day, including what to expect from the markets, news out of Washington, and what historically happens after elections. You can find all of our 2024 election content at carsongroup.com slash election. Absolutely. I guess there's some notes I wrote to myself on this industrial production. Uh, industrial production is up 5.3% year over year. This last 12 months. Before yep. the last yeah. four recessions, yeah. that moved to negative year over year. That's a very strong number. 5.3 year over year is a very strong number. Again, likely suggesting no recession. And again, like you said, a big chunk of industrial production strength last month was due to solid manufacturing output. Now, I will say, I just I saw another note I wrote to myself uh, regarding airlines. United Airlines CEO said, quote unquote, it was the best operational quarter in our history last quarter you talk about um some of those things i did not fly united with that open seat it was american but i'm american had some positive things to say also um let's talk about earnings just for a minute or two here so new so you know the economy hard soft seeing some different things the hard data still suggests likely not a recession earnings seasons early like i said that's one of the um um, big airlines i know netflix had some positive things some of the big names the big tech names and names we all know and love are coming up like literally the next couple days but how's earnings season been so far you think 
so far it's been okay. I I think again, all this is relative to expectations and feelings, right? right? I think before earnings season started off, people were like, oh, earnings are going to fall off a cliff, mm-hmm. right? And that's not happening, right? I mean, it's not amazingly good. It, it, earnings are weaker than they were last year and earlier yep. this year. But remember, we are coming out of a pandemic, right? So earnings were going to bounce, right? It had to slow down after that big bounce that we got last year. And we are seeing that, right? But for the most part, we're seeing a lot of strength in the services sector too. Like, you know, for you just mentioned the airlines. Right? Yeah. So I think that's a very positive sign. And we could probably GDP uh, economic growth for uh, the third quarter is going to come out in this week. By the time you listen to this episode, I'm talking to the viewers uh, or listeners here. Uh, GDP growth is probably going to be coming out and uh, we're probably going to see strong services consumption, Mm -hmm. right? Goods consumption is probably going to slow down. But folks, that's kind of what we want, right? We want goods consumption to slow down so that prices don't keep going up because of higher demand. Absolutely. I mean, those are some some important things to see. And again, some big companies are reporting earnings soon. So we'll we'll dive more in. But so far, you know, we're I guess you say rounded first, heading yeah. in the second. Earnings season's been, has been a disaster. So many people worried about a disaster, right? Just think big picture. You listen to this podcast. Think big picture. We likely had a successful test of the June lows, right on the S and P five hundred. Remember, small caps did not violate. We had massive, massive fear come into the market, but we had less stocks making new fifty two week lows. We saw better. We saw more improvement in the credit markets from uh, the October lows versus June lows. And October is a bear market killer, like I've been talking about. So a lot of potential positives. Again, the economy is not great, but it's better than the lowered expectations. Oh, and by the way, now we've got some signs. The Fed is starting to let the Wall Street Journal know and their favorite reporter know that we might not be as hawkish. And those are some really positive things. You know, the other thing I should have mentioned this or mention it now. And that's the best six months of the year are coming up. We all remember sell in May go away, right? We're six months. And that, that played out again. That was a pretty bad six months we just had. But the November through April period, Sonu, when you look at a midterm year like we are right now, higher 18 of the last 18 times. We went back to 1950. Never lower. Anything's possible, wow. believe me. But just be aware that these next six months, if you look at an entire four-year presidential cycle, are the strongest six months in the cycle, whereas some of the weakest months are the first couple quarters of a midterm year. Check mark that box so far, but maybe there can be some positive things. The you know, one thing is not so positive. I was thinking when I traveled, I opened up my garment bag and then my uh, gel for my hair. Somehow it cracked open and like there was like white oh, no. goo all over everything like my toothbrush and everything i was like oh my goodness first oh, world God. problems i get it but you know um anyway that was i was, was just wanted to point that out here speaking um, of sentiment and- going down but you know yeah no yeah. It, it's it's funny that we're going into positive what we call seasonality right yep. it's a, the next six months have been really good uh, especially the next six months following a mid- midterm election year so, but then sentiment is just on the opposite direction. And we're seeing this even in those, like I mentioned, those surveys, right? The mm-hmm. um, those uh, business surveys that the Fed does. So the Dallas Fed did a survey and they always get comments from businesses too. So it's not like just data, right? They, they ask these people, it's like interviews, right? And they get comments from business owners. And I thought I'll flag a couple of comments really caught my attention there because it was kind of you know, goes was goes to that whole facts versus feelings thing. So mm-hmm. one comment, these this is from a machinery manufacturing business, right? He they asked him, okay, how do you feel about the economy and what's happening? What are you seeing? So they said, we see the general economic situation worsening, but 
our customers are still buying because the oil industry is still making money and they see a bright future, even though they will not talk about it. Therefore, we have hired a few new people to support the business that is coming over the next couple of months. Hello, facts versus feelings there, right? And there's another comment saying, we are living in Alice in Wonderland. It just gets worse and worse. I had no idea what to make of that. Ryan, any ideas what that means? Uh, well, gee, no, I, I was never that big of a fan of Alice in Wonderland. But I will say it almost sounds like you slept at a Holiday Inn Express last night with what you're saying. Sonu, let the listeners know what books do you use to prop up your computer? I thought this is hilarious. You mentioned your laptop, you're propping up as you what, what some of the most famous books in history. What can you can you see them? Are they under there? What, what do you what are you propping your computer I, I, on right underneath, now? But I should know. Yeah. One is uh, A Random Walk Down Wall Street by Burton Malkiel, yep. classic. I think he wrote it in yep. the 70s or something. And then the, you know, uh, the Intelligent Investor, right? Mm-hmm. The whole uh, uh, Jason Zweig's uh, uh, annotated mm-hmm. version with the Benjamin Graham book. And so that's yeah. been that's what's propping up my laptop right wow, now. That, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. That's good. Uh, so we've got only a couple minutes. I know we both have some meetings to go to, so we, and we want to keep this podcast, you know, ballpark, you know, less than 30 minutes. You've done some work on housing. I mean, just from the headline point of view, it looks terrible. I mean, we've got mortgage rates soaring, existing homes dropping off a cliff, new homes dropping off a cliff, all this housing data, some of the soft surveys, like you said, some of the lowest we've seen since financial crisis. You know, in like two or three minutes, let's not spend too much time. But what are you seeing when it comes to housing right here, Sonu? I mean, you just sold a house, right? Uh, was it hard or easy? It was hard. I say I think I sold at the peak. I mean, it was it, it went from a seller's market to a buyer's market from the time I put a house on the market. And it wasn't easy. And then you got rates going up and, you know, sellers are asking for all this stuff new. And it's like, oh, man, I thought this was going to put on the market and have a bunch of people throw, throw, throw money at it. That wasn't what I felt at all <laughs> trying to sell my house um yeah no no surprise i'm glad you sold it because home sales actually yep. crashing right sales are down 27 percent through the first nine months of this year 27 percent. Wow. can you believe that and you look no surprise right the 30-year yeah. mortgage was 3.1 percent at the end of last year it's about seven percent right now right and so if you look at affordability so if you take the median existing home sales price 30-year mortgage rate Assume a 20% down payment. At the end of last year, a monthly mortgage payment would have been just under $1,000. Now it's more than $2,000. It's doubled. What do you think will happen in home prices then? It'll crash, right? And prices are kind of responding too. Prices have been going down. We saw the first home price decline. This is the Case-Shiller Home Price Index. So it's a measure of home prices. Mm -hmm. goes back in history a long while. It fell for the first time since February 2012, uh, this was the July number. And I I think fair expectation is that it's going to fall in September too. But look, ultimately what matters for home prices is inventory, right? And that's what's surprising. So inventory, one way to measure it is months of supply, which is how long will it take to sell the entire inventory of homes that we have right now if we assume the current sales pace, right? The current rate of sales. What's happening is that inventory for existing homes is just about just about three months of supply, right? Normally it's four to six months. And if inventory is high, you know, prices tend to be going down. If inventory is low, prices tend to go up, right? Which kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. So right now inventory is low. So I think prices seem like they may actually find a floor. And the question is, okay, will inventory rise, right? Uh, One way inventory could rise is if new supply comes onto the market, but builders are pulling back, right? You saw 
building permits for single family homes, they're down about 22% over the first nine months of the year. So builders are not, they don't want to build, right? And then the other side is distressed mm-hmm. sales. And this is what we saw back in 2008. A lot of people had adjustable rate mortgages. And when those rates reset higher, a lot of people couldn't afford those mortgages and they just walked away. Right. So a lot of distressed homes came into the market this time around, especially after the housing crash, lending standards tightened. So we have a lot more, you know, borrowers with credit scores above 760. And most of these homeowners have mortgage rates below 5 percent. Sixty five percent of homeowners have mortgage rates between two and four percent, Ryan. And so, you know, affordability is crashing, but that's for new home buyers. Right. Existing homeowners are in pretty good shape and it's not in any, they're not in any form of distress. They're probably locked into their homes for now, mm-hmm. but that means activity is probably just going to drop. I mean, no, yep. you know, a lot of people are not going to list anymore unless you have to move from, you know, Charlotte to Cincinnati to be closer to family <laughs> exactly. like yourself. Yeah. I mean, if you've locked in a mortgage at 3%, I don't know. I don't know if you're going to want to move anytime soon is the best way to put it. The truth is house, your average house is up over 40%, right, from the pandemic lows until just recently. Right. Maybe that rubber band was stretched just too far. We don't think this is another financial crisis. We do not think it's another major housing bubble. Clearly, housing slowdown. The Fed is trying to slow the economy down. We know that, right? And the Fed's doing it through housing. I mean, believe me, we said we don't see a recession. Housing's in a recession right now. Let's not, let's not beat around the bush right. there. But that doesn't mean the economy blindly is in a recession, but there are clearly parts of the economy that are slowing down. So listen, we've got to hit the end of the road. Great discussion as always. So no, I'll leave it with this. Um, the last eight days, the S&P 500 has been green. Every one of those days has closed up at least 1%. So when you're up, you're really up. Uh, again, like I like to do, look back at history. Some major market lows we've seen, you know, I'm talking March 2020, March 2009. Some of those made, sometimes there's a false signal. Don't get me wrong here. But that's another hallmark of major lows. And you see strong buying pressure day after day on the up days. Um, so just another potential positive sign. We think to why we're likely making a fairly significant low um, in equity markets once again this October. So, Sonu, we didn't mention it, but you say who's our special guest next week, and then I'll bring us home. We have uh, Libby Cantrell, uh, a widely followed uh, person on Wall Street, really, and her she writes about uh, the inter- intersection between politics and policy and markets. So you can imagine why she's widely read and followed in the market it, on the on the street, really. So we're really excited to have her on the podcast. She's at PIMCO. And uh, so, yeah, that's going to be a big deal. And so make sure to bookmark the Facts versus Feelings podcast link on Apple iTunes now or Spotify, wherever you get from. Yeah, that's on. I'm, I'm a Google guy. I use it on Google, but it is midterm elections, and it's just wild to me. And believe me, we'll we'll talk more about this. But this midterms is not like we're not we're not really talking about it that much. But believe me, what happens this midterm of the year is going to be extremely important, as it always is for policy and investments and what the economy is doing. And we're gonna have Libby on next week, a really really special guest. You guys are gonna love it. We've had her on before with our with our partners at Carson before, and it was awesome. So we wanted to have her on this podcast, and she'll be on next week with us. But from Ryan and Sonu. We'll see everybody next time. Thank you. Take care.
Information provided on Facts versus Feelings with Sonal Varghese and Ryan Dietrich are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. The statements and opinions of show guests may not be reflective of CWM LLC or its affiliates. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested indirectly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Facts versus Feelings are not affiliated with CWM LLC.